the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. To have faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As a believer, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as together we walk the believer's journey. Well, welcome and, uh, to the believer's journey and thank you for joining us today. Um, I believe we have an amazing program uh, we want to share with you. My my guest today is somebody that I I knew when I went to college. We were actually roommates for a while. Uh, we went to Point Loma together, and uh, so I think you'll really enjoy this program. And he's also going to um, be with us uh, in two weeks when we have our next show as well. So uh, I really want you to tune in. You'll love his story. You'll love his uh, what he does for Jesus. You love his uh, background, and uh, and I think that we might have a few laughs in the program. Okay. Anyway, um, I want to thank everyone who uh, supports uh, our program, our show, our our ministry, and uh, we still need your prayers. We still need your uh, views, and uh, I just want to let everybody know we really covet your prayers and your support so anyway as we get going today our topic is going to be about um youth in um in our community it's going to basically we're going to talk about uh developing our youth in our community and uh michael uh, mata who's my guest has been working with youth he has been working with uh communities on a large scale and for most of his life and uh, i want to introduce you now michael say hello hi there um so we met back in at point loma when we were both going to school and uh, we became roommates in young hall and um so right. One of the things I wanted to ask, because when you and I, when I knew you in college, you were you had hair down below your shoulders. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> and um, so you went on with your education, and you went on some prestigious uh, business. You did some some prestigious work in your your life. When did you cut your hair? It was actually the move from, well, before Point Loma Nazarene University was at Point Loma in San Diego area was in Pasadena. Uh-huh. And so I had, you know, attended Pasadena College. And in between that move from Pasadena to um, Point Loma, I did cut my hair a little shorter. Uh, it wasn't compl- my ears were still covered, but it was a matter of convenience because uh, I, I you know I, I was a little bit vain then <laughs> vainer maybe in terms of caring for it I just needed to cut it to be able to work in a way that wouldn't necessarily interfere with my what I had to do and, and, and keep me safe because there was a lot of things that my hair would fall into and I, I just needed to cut it so yeah. I did it that for practical reasons now one thing that's really kind of cool is that you and I have had some of the same professors 
you know, mm-hmm. Ruben Welch, Dr. Carter, you know, some of the same professors, and uh, that really did influence our lives. Um, Absolutely. I, you know, and I think really highly of some of these uh, people. And for a lot of you who don't know this, uh, Dr. And I don't know, you might know this, Dr. Carter was one of the uh, translators of the NIV Bible. Did you know that? Yes. Yes. He was yeah. an astute uh, New Testament, a Greek scholar. So it didn't surprise me that he was had his fingerprints on that that magnificent work. Yeah. So, and he, I had a few classes with him, and I think probably the most influential professor at Point Loma for me was Reuben Welch. Mm. I mean, I, I believe that because it helped me understand. Back in the seventies, we had denominations. Everything was a denomination. Oh, you're a Methodist. Oh, you're a Baptist. Or you're a Nazarene. You know, or you know, well, if you're a Methodist, you're not saved because you're not a Baptist. It was almost that bad <laughs> if you remember you know yeah we had our little tribes then right it was you know we wanted we were very proud of where who we affiliated with or where we where our heritage came from you know um and i found that unfortunately later on when i got more involved in, in ministry in the cities and that that you know the most people have a profound calling to do something that you know to create a better world yeah, um, and if we just high, continue to highlight those differences or titles, it, it doesn't really land to a better environment for our young people to grow up in. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I remember Reuben Wells. The one thing I I remember about him, he was the one and only professor that I know and remember who didn't really conform to that. He conformed more to the, or actually, he was kind of a offshoot of no it's all about relationship with Jesus hmm. you know and that was the big thing that I sought for caught from him and even his books back then if you read his books about uh, he wrote one we really do need to listen to Jesus about the passion scripture in John he talks a lot about the relationship with Jesus yeah. rather than the denomination right we really need each other yeah, and that was the first book yes. about the community of believers which we're going to talk about during our, our time together yeah, he was not only a great instructor and faculty of the school there, but a, a, an amazing chaplain yeah. for the entire university. Uh, he made his he touched many lives. Some of the professors you mentioned, Dr. Frank Carter, in terms of New Testament and Greek, learned how to translate John uh, through him, and I, I you know, really tra- cherish that those skills that he, he instilled in me. And one of the professor for me was in theology and philosophy was her prince. Oh, yeah. And he just embodied a, 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 an acute passion for knowing the truth in Jesus. And in terms of introducing to the various thinkers mm-hmm. in, in Christian thought, um, and still to this day, I, I still have some of those notes from really? those courses. Wow. I looked at a box just recently that we we had just moved to a a new house a year ago, and I opened a box, and here's a bunch of term papers and papers from college. go, I still have these? (laughs) So I guess they've been unopened for decades. Yeah, I I think I, yeah, one of two boxes like that in my house, too. Yeah. So Michael is a, uh, well, actually, you were born in Texas. 
yeah, I'm, yeah, I tell people in LA I'm a refugee from the Republic of Texas because <laughs> everybody's from somewhere else in Los Angeles, right? Yeah. They kind of scratched their heads. But I, you know, I was born in Houston. I'm a Tejano by birth. And you lived in San Antonio. Yes. I still remember those, um, that street where I played with my friends there in Linares Street, I believe. Wow. Yeah. And this is the street where you were able to lay on the ground and look at the stars? Yes, right in the middle of the street. We were looking up there, beautiful clouds. Back in the day when cars weren't going to run, run you over. Well, that's a story we can talk about, why I felt like we, we could do that, my friend and I. Yeah. And then uh, and then you basically now you're home base and you've stayed pretty much in, in the L.A. and Southern California area. Right. Right after seminary, was got a, literally a call to come to... Uh, First Church of the Nazarene, the mother church of our denomination in Los Angeles. And uh, I've moved into that neighborhood. I felt I needed to be part of the neighborhood. I need to live there with the community. And except for a two-year jaunt up to the Bay Area for more graduate school, um, God hasn't moved me, you know? Yeah. I love cities, all the places I visit. I said, this, I, I could live here. I could be here. But, you know, we, we have been there. And so, okay, we try to be faithful in that, that place. Now, when, when you say the Mother Church, uh, I want to explain uh, what, what you mean. I understand that uh, back in the early days when the Nazarene Church began, Phineas Brzee was the founder of the Nazarene Church, and he wanted to start a church and a movement in uh, Los Angeles where the poor area of town was to reach those who were not all, all affluent and reached them for Jesus. Well, part of it was that because of a real strong calling for those that had been marginalized, um, had been kind of neglected and ignored, uh, he felt like he needed a, a place where people can feel welcome. And at that time, he was affiliated with an, a mainline denomination, which had large churches, and he really wanted to work with them. He actually left his denomination to work on Skid Row, what we know as Skid Row in Los Angeles, and Panal Mission, he did that there, but he wanted to keep families together. And so by that time, he had started what we call uh, s- small groups, right? And one of those groups wanted to become, wanted him to be the pastor. At that time, he was chairman of the board at USC, the University of Southern California, that was affiliated with the Methodist Episcopal Church. And so he f- responded to that call of this group of people, this agape group, to begin to become their pastor, but was an express call to those who are economically challenged and marginalized because of their ethnicity, their heritage. Um, he wanted the church to welcome everyone, and that no barriers would be created. Yeah. And it's been an amazing movement. I, I've, uh, when I first started to go to church, I was 14. Uh, we actually didn't go to church. It was too boring. <laughs> uh, for a teenager, you know. Yes, right. And especially someone who never went to church, you aren't. I wasn't brought up with that. So I went to Sunday school because we were promised if we went every other week or at least two times a month, we can go on their little trips, like Alvera Street, mm. up in the mountains, the snow. Or, yes. And they, they did this once a quarter. So I, oh, we could. There's a group of us. We could do that. And we were off the street. And we were guys that were rowdy. And and so we made it rowdy in Sunday school class. I mean, we just were really terrible. Um, I remember one time in the back of a car and the youth pastor 
really ribbing me because I was one of those kids that always, I'm a smart aleck and I probably have always been. And I was making comments and he said something that really irritated me. So I grabbed his hair and pulled it and I had a whole handful of hair. <laughs> so, but I was on one of our little trips. So I remember this. So, but church, we went to church and it was ultimately boring. I mean, I just couldn't mm. do it. And at 16 years old, when I became a Christian, two years later, and I started going to the church services, of course, we had a different pastor, too. Uh, and that was Lon Ekdahl, that's where, who my mentor is now. Um, it was interesting. It was different. And I really believe it's not, it was because the difference in my heart. Hmm. You know, Jesus was in my heart, and that's who I wanted to serve. Or before, it was just a place to go to kill time. Yes. You know. Well, when I arrived as a youth pastor there at the church, um, probably because the pastor, that's the only thing he had as a, in his budget to get a youth pastor, but knowing that he wanted us to, myself, to become more engaged in the community, to connect the church, the congregation with the community. So when I arrived, there was probably only six youth left because of the, most of the families had already you know, moved on. Mm-hmm. And three of them were probably under protest. You know, they didn't want to be there. The other three were just trying to give me a hard time. Like, maybe it's like you were did, did when you were younger. So all I knew was, well, there was a lot of young people in the community. Fortunately, that, that, that congregation, the four parents, had built an indoor basketball court. with nice flooring. And, uh, and so one of the youth said, well, I have some friends that like basketball. But they don't want to hang out and play in the school grounds after school nor in the parks because there was a lot of heavy gang recruitment and they were being pressured. And so they needed a safe place to come and to play. I say, yeah, come on in. Let's just begin to do, you know, play and be safe. And that's when I began to develop those relationships with the young people in that community who had never really gone to church. A lot of them had a little bit of background and maybe Roman Catholicism, Mm -hmm. but they didn't have any intimate relationship with anybody affiliated with the congregation. Now you're talking about the basketball court at uh, Nazarene First? Yes. I remember that because they had a church league, and we were at North Hills Church in the San Fernando Valley, and we used to go there to play basketball. Well, it eventually became another league, Uh which we had both church and non-church groups in that league. My young people that I started recruiting <laughs> and try to coach, one day they said, you don't, you don't really know how to coach. I didn't know that much about basketball. <laughs> so they talked to their high school offer, uh, coach and got him his, the playbook and brought it to me. And I studied the, the playbook and then began to coach them. But that was the kind of nucleus that brought the young people together because they all get it was more important that we have a safe place for them to mm-hmm. be young people. Yeah. You know, you talked about all the places you visited and got to go. They had never had that opportunity. When I met them, they said, you know, why are you here? You know, at first they thought I was a narc because I was pretty young and hanging out in the street. And they go, this guy's going to bust us for something. But they really wanted some place where they could be safe. And then I realized that they didn't have any aspirations beyond maybe surviving for another five years. That was a shock to me, Alan. You know, you, you expect young people to be energized and <laughs> rebunctious like you were and maybe thinking about doing different things, but they didn't think they had a future more than maybe five years. They would be dead because that's what they were experiencing in that neighborhood. You know, you, you hear this or you watch this on TV programs, 
And I'm not even sure that really has an effect on a lot of the viewers of these TV programs that people say this is is because like for me I've not experienced that like you have uh, the kids that I hung around with in on the streets as a teenager most of them grew up and went somewhere else and didn't stay there in gangs in in situations so for, for them they had nowhere else to go yeah even though they lived in Los Angeles, which is like Hollywood, and you have Disneyland not too far away, they had never experienced it. We were five, like 15 miles from the ocean. They had never been to the ocean. Wow. So once I began to create opportunities, they began to see that there was more to life than just surviving. right? And the important aspect was that God wanted something more for them. And for me, the challenge was, how do I make God real to them? It wasn't just about getting them to attend worship on Sunday, which I, that wasn't my primary reason. Mm-hmm. And nor did I do that until they were ready to really appreciate what was happening in worship time. Nor was it even, they didn't even know what the Bible was. They knew what the Bible was, but they never knew what was inside of it. It was just for religious people. They didn't even know I was a pastor until later on they go, oh, you're a priest? You know, that's what they, I go, well, that is. Or they didn't even know when they were coming to that part of the building that we were part of a congregation. Mm-hmm. But they... So they began to understand and what we say develop their understanding. So for me, I wasn't driven to tell them about God. I was driven for them to discover God. And so I created the opportunities where they come into that personal relationship on their terms, not just to appease me or to appease somebody else, but that they, it was a personal decision they were making rather something that was imposed or expected of them. Now, your journey has been uh, totally amazing. Um, I know when I asked you for your bio, I've got 10 pages of <laughs> stuff you've done and on, a, on a local area, on a state level, city, national. It, it's incredible. I mean, I am, I am in awe of everything you've done and what you do. I, seriously. So, uh, And, you know, people ask me, what, how did you plan that? I didn't plan it. It, it evolved. So we when we went to school together, we were both ministerial students. Yes. Okay, so I went off and I went into ministry. I was a youth pastor also. I think I spent about 10 years as a youth pastor. And then I went into teaching, and I've been a Bible teacher and professor for a good 14 years and so forth. You went into the church as a youth pastor, your first church uh, in L.A., but how did you get into working with communities and the urban development? Well, it's because those relationships with young people. Uh, I quickly realized, well, they actually woke me up to the realities that I could teach them about God. I could help them understand what scriptures say about the living Christ. I could provide alternative activities for them mm-hmm. and expose them to other kinds of opportunities in their lives. But until I really understood in how they lived and what they were facing, I knew that somehow I needed, that God was interested in that as well, not just their spiritual well-being, but what happens to them physically and mentally. And so I had to connect with the resources that our church didn't have in order to connect our young people to those resources. So as you look at working in, in the church boundaries as you understand and then working outside how does it 
or why do you see the church having a problem in doing what you do outside in the community? Well, part of it, I think we have a different understanding of what church is, right? We tended to look at church as being a building in which people come worship and do other kind of religious activities. You know, we have the little thing, here's the steeple right. open, you know. And, and so, but I, I believe that those walls should be permeable, right? That the church is really the body of Christ. And that means that it's more than just a building. It's how we engage the community, how we uh, understand our lives, that we don't just become holy when we enter that facility. We have uh, a, a way that God is real in our daily lives. And that's what I wanted to tell the young people and show them and guide them to think that it's more than just coming to this building and learning about God, but they could be witnesses for God in their community. And so the body of Christ is not relegated or hampered by building. It's really to be free to move and be part of the community. So when we were out there with the young people, let's say, cleaning up the neighborhood, because they themselves said, why is our neighborhood? We went to other neighborhoods. They're clean. Why isn't ours cleaned up? I go, well, that's an, we can talk about that. We can go and talk to our representatives and say, clean it up. But we can take action right now. So I, we, they began to then take ownership of the well-being of the community. Mm-hmm. You know, when we gave that opportunity, they, they knew what needed to be happening. And I said, this is part of God's work to make this place representative of things that we are prideful of, that we invest in and care for. We, just like in Genesis, where Adam and Eve were to care for the garden, we're supposed to care for our community. Yeah. And so the young people, they had that energy. So that rebumptiousness, you know, I was able to kind of channel to doing something good. And they felt good. I realized that they wanted to be considered socially useful. They wanted to contribute. Too often we see young people as just kids. And, you know, they need us. Mm-hmm. But I knew that they had more to offer. Now you're the uh, you're the director of network engagement and leadership development at Together LA. Yes. So what is this company, and what do you exactly do? So Together LA is a network mm-hmm. hello, of churches, faith based organizations, Christian based organizations, nonprofits, and Christian individuals who want to love the city in tangible ways. And so I've come to that organization bringing my extensive experience in the city of Los Angeles, in the region of Los Angeles, and getting the contacts they need to help you know, bring these various individuals, organizations together to really create a web of something new that can be seen and experienced by all people, regardless if they join a church or come into, a, an, at that time, a, a real knowledge of who God is, we can still love the city, regardless how people may or may not believe of what we believe. Mm-hmm. And so my, my responsibility is identify resources, team them up with those that want to do something in tangible ways for, for the betterment of the community. Um, and then leadership development is always about skill building, right? Developing, understanding the theological, the biblical, but also the tangible tools that people need and can utilize to engage the community. And, and the young people are more than willing. <laughs> they, want, they want to do something new. So when you start saying, don't do that, they go, why can't we do it? So I said, we're not going to clean up our... Oh, why, why can't we do that? And so I kind of use a little refre- you know, reverse psychology, but realize that once you get them going, 
you unleash the power of young people. I, I know that um, I've always, I kind of see things where a lot of people who are churchgoers, okay, mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot of them, you know, I may have to be careful here, walk with blinders. Mm-hmm. They're, they're only looking at their four walls. They're yes. only looking at their, you know, where are we sing, where are we here yeah. preaching, where we might go to us, maybe right. go to a class and go home, and, and that's all we see. That's all we do because that's Christianity. And yeah. that's, you know, however, what you're talking about is what I see what Jesus did is he went out in the community and he brought people to touch their lives in every way possible. Exactly. I mean, when the disciples of John the Baptist went to Jesus and said, are you the one to ask me? He didn't say, well, how many new people have come to synagogue? How many new people have come to Sabbat? He said, do people see? Are the lame healed? (laughs) You know, those kinds of real tangible ways of how lives can be transformed and becoming and, and, and connecting with the living God. Um, and that's what I wanted to do with the young people. When I talk about development of young people, it's really, again, nurturing them so they can then be true you know, agents of transformation. They can be the vehicles of seeing something different because they themselves have been part of that, not somebody else coming in and doing it for them. Sometimes people say, well, their young people are at risk. No, I think uh, young people are all risk takers, right? Once you start seeing them as risk takers, then you see them with agency and efficacy to do something different. And I tell them that's, what God is asking of you and what God has given you in terms of your own gifts and abilities. You know, it's interesting. And I've worked with youth for 20 years. Youth pastor, uh, teacher in high high school or college. And something I, I always wonder is, how is it that we have leaders who don't get it when they look at youth? However, because of all my years, and you might have the same thing, um, all of my years as a youth pastor, as teaching teenagers, it's almost like I become this brain damaged kid who still thinks like a youth. <laughs> my wife tells me, "You're like a 16 year old," you know, and 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 I could relate to them. But I know a lot of people our age. They can't relate. They don't remember what it was like to be a teenager or, mm. or a young person. And I don't know if you see that or if you understand or if you can comment on what I'm just saying. Well, uh, I still hearken back to unless we come like a child, right? Mm. We're not going to be into the kingdom of God, right? So what does that look like? What are the elements of a youth? And so I do a little training on asset-based community development. I say, what are the assets that young people have? Well, it's creativity. It's, mm-hmm. you know, ability to have a different perspective on that. Those things that we can still nurture as older, as we get older, right, in terms of our age. And it's unfortunate that somehow we lose that, right? We, we lose that capacity to don't think it's as important. And so I really enjoy spending time, uh, and even though sometimes I become impatient with those that are a little younger, because I want to see their perspective. How do you see this? How do you hear this? Tell me. Show me that. Because... They have insights that I don't have yeah. or don't. And so I, it's, I think it's a matter of practice. And I think you've done it. It becomes who you are, an ability to open, to be engaging, to, to listen, to understand, and maybe hear something different, even though I may disagree with them or what have you. I think it's, it's, it really has opened me up 
to new ways of experiencing God that I probably wouldn't have if I just said, okay, I'm already set in what I believe and how I see life and that's it. It does me well. Well, maybe it could be better. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because I have this crazy part of me, you know, and I like to be fun. I like to laugh. I like to kid around and do things and I probably get myself in trouble more than I need to be. But I have this very serious side of me too. So in in all fun, I mean, I, I believe Christianity, as a Christian, we can have a lot of fun. We can enjoy life to its fullest. But I do believe there's a seriousness to our walk and our testimony. I mean, I'm serious about my testimony. I'm serious about my teaching uh, for others to understand that Jesus wants us to live a holy life and a life that uh, basically reflects him. But I also like to have a lot of fun and goof off and stuff like that. And I wonder if, if as we get older, we all of a sudden kind of, well, we better not do this stuff uh, over here and become stoic. Right, right. Well, I don't think uh, Jesus was out stoic all the time because he got the cues of being a partier, right? Yeah. Hanging out with people, going to places that they shouldn't be going to and hanging out with those other people, right? And so I think we have a different... Unfortunately, a very limited understanding and, and therefore limit our ability to really fully appreciate what God wants in our lives. If we truly look at Jesus' life, it was a full life. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I mean, at the wedding, the, the mother said, hey, we ran out of wine, you know, you know, why he's, and, or he's talking to, you know, hey, I want to go hang, hang, have dinner with you. Oh, you are? You know, there's a lot of that time. So they, at times, he, they thought he was probably a glutton, you know, too much on to the wine and hanging out with people of ill repute. Sinners. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I go, hello. I mean, that's part and parcel of reality and humanity. And God is, is there. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I want to mention uh, one other thing here before we get into our topic. Um, we talked very briefly beforehand, and you said that you're part of PBS? Yes, Public Broadcasting System yeah. in Southern California. Okay, so tell us about it. What is it that they do? What is it that you do, and, and how did you get involved with them? Uh, it's all about networks. It's all who you know, who knows you, right? Yeah. And so when the state news. One of the the PBS station in Southern California began to expand its reach into Southern California, the counties of San Bernardino, Santa Barbara, Ventura, Orange County. Uh, one of their board members uh, wanted to create what they call affinity groups, representative different cultural groups, to give input and feedback to the development of the programming at PBS Southern California, and. She asked me, invited me to be part of that committee uh, that was working with different ethnic groups, and I was representing the Latinx community. Uh, and eventually, those who have been combined as this station became, began to emerge with other ones. And so I'm now a member of the Community Advisory Board. And so they share with us their ideas and their programming, and they welcome our input in terms of maybe some of the content that needs to be developed, what we can we contribute to highlight from Southern California that other parts of the country will, will understand and appreciate. And then we get to select people that should be lifted up and honored for their work in the community, the un, unsung heroes that 
maybe the, the media has not seen or heard, but because we're all community-based individuals and organizations, we're able to identify people who maybe people who had never heard of, and yet these are people who have given their lives for making their neighborhood, their communities better. So those are the kinds of things that we have done and are part of. So I understand you were one of those unsung heroes that they um, lifted up? Yes, uh, one because of my work with young people in, in, in uh, Los Angeles and in other parts of the world as well, and then my work in training other pastors to become more engaged in the community. It's got to be a true honor. You're, you're real quiet about this. You know, it's funny. I have people in my program here that uh, I watch and see how they've written some books or made huge uh, community uplifting developments. And it's like, I just found this out. And I'm talking about it. I was, well, you know, and they're very humble about it. And you seem to be very humble about this. You know, brother, it's up to the glory of God. You know, I didn't really plan for this. I was called to, I feel like I'm fulfilling my calling of developing leaders and investing in them and cultivating those that can be, you know, representative of the kingdom in really true ways. And, and so I just find myself being faithful to that. I don't seek these honors. I don't go out and, you know, try to hustle and, you know, get in how many followers I get on Instagram. But I'm, I'm about trying to be faithful. And if God honors me in that way, then to God's glory, really, truly. And I, and I, I really appreciate that answer because I, there's something that I teach a lot. And I, I tell people that, you know, if, you're, if you are faithful to Jesus, he will bless you. Mm. And I think uh, in many ways, you know, that's what I was trying to say is your faithfulness to, to Jesus, your faithfulness to the community, your faithfulness to these young people, your faithfulness to these ministers, God is blessing you yes. in so many different ways. Yes. And I, I think that's where I'm trying to go with this. I, I, I am blessed. I oh. truly am. The, the people and places I've been, I would never have thought <laughs> as even a boy to be in places, you know, in the White House, uh, working with the UN, um, being part of elements that really will bring about transformation, true transformation in communities and people's lives. Yeah. And I want to talk more about all of these things in our next program that we do. Um, yes. Looking so, forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> so right now, let, let's switch over. Let's talk about developing our youth and our communities. Mm -hmm. um, this is something that obviously we've already talked about during mm -hmm. this, this program here. But I, I know it's a desire and a passion of yours, not only because you've mentioned it, but because it's really evident in your life. Yeah, well, yeah. When I think about community transformation, it is a process and a journey. It doesn't. It's not a two-year process, three months. It could be ten years or more. And so, when I've gone into communities and work to bring about change for the betterment of all those that have been marginalized, I said the ones who are going to be probably the most. Uh, who are going to be here a little longer will be our young people, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, they're going to be there for five, ten years unless their parents move on or their families have to go on somewhere else. And historically, we have seen that young people have transformed the course of human history. They were the ones that instigated the, 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 the bringing down of apartheid in South Africa. It wasn't just the, the high schoolers in Soweto that walked out. It was prior to that, months before that, Middle schoolers walked out to just, you know, um, protest apartheid. 
Rosa Parks wasn't the first one to refuse to sit down. It was a 15-year-old girl before she did that act. So we have time and time again people, young people who have done that. Feeding the 5,000. John, chapter 6. It's the only story of the feeding of the 5,000. There's more than one. But it talks about a lad. Now, it didn't say a young man. We know that in you know, Jewish tradition, you don't become a man until your bar mitzvah, right? Bar mitzvah at 12 or 13. Well, it says a lad. So it was a little boy who, in the midst of all that was going on, and you had these adults trying to solve a problem, <laughs> and they weren't getting anywhere, right? Yeah. And they were going, to, what are we going to do? We'll send them home. We don't have any money. We don't got this. They saw things in, in, sacred, in scarcity model, right? We don't have enough. There's too many of them. And somehow this boy must have heard something. And I think about who prepared that little sandwich for him? Who prepared that lunch for him? Mm-hmm. You know, he came from a caring environment. Uh, could have been his auntie, his grandmother, maybe his mother, big sister. Somebody prepared it. And he was willing to cha- share it with Jesus and everybody else. Yeah, That's an amazing story. So I know young people have capacity and a desire to make an impact that's for the betterment of all people, just not just for themselves. Sometimes we think young people are just too about, you know, egocentric, their needs and their their wants. But truly, if given the opportunity and nurtured and m- mentored, yeah, they will deliver. It, it's interesting. Uh, as I shared, I became a Christian at 16, and I really had no clue about Anything. I didn't even own a Bible, not even for months until after I became mm-hmm. saved. I didn't have a Bible. And um, my first Bible was a New Testament called Reach Out, which was a living New Testament. Oh, yeah, I remember which was that. Not even uh-huh. a translation. Right. Was- and then finally, my pastor gave me one called the Revised Standard Version, uh, my first Bible. I might even have that still today. Okay. And, um, but I remember that they were going to a summer camp in Idlewild. Yes. California. Idlewild, California. Idlewild. And I had no idea about it. I've never been to summer camp. I, <laughs> You know, it's funny. I grew up with a single mom, and there was five of us kids. I was the oldest. And we didn't have – I didn't know we were poor, but we were really poor. Mm. And um, my mom – worked and went to school and we hardly ever saw her that's why i was on the street all the time and uh i had we never went to camp didn't really know Mm. much what camp Mm -hmm. there was Uh such a thing didn't know there's such a thing as churches after i just saw them yeah i've never been right however when i was it was in may and the pastor and the youth pastor of the church i think more of the youth pastor his name was herman rouse wanted me to go to summer camp I'm like, well, summer camp, you know, I, I actually work. I, I, I had a job. I mean, I, I, one of the reasons why I didn't know if we were poor is because I had a paper route mm-hmm. and I made money. Yeah, you had so, money. So, so I yeah, in your pocket, right? You know, the money in my pocket. So I wasn't, you know, I didn't think about all that. So they wanted me to go to summer camp. Well, you know, and I really couldn't afford to go to summer camp. And so they said, I'll tell you what. If you work around the church, we'll give you all this stuff here. We'll give you we'll give you a scholarship to go to camp. And I thought about it and thought about it. I was encouraged more and more, and so I went. 
all because this youth pastor invested in me. And then the next year, you know, I went again. But I noticed that uh, when I was 16 and a half, I didn't live at home and I, I played sports. And I noticed the pastor of the church and the youth pastor sometimes would come to my events. I was in the choir in high school. They would come to the choir, not rehearsals, but, uh, you know, presentations. And we would go to football games and they would come to my football game. They invested time in me and their lives into my, my life as a teenager. And then I had people like Reuben Welch who invested into me. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and then later, Bruce Beloyan invested his life and time into me that helped me become who I am today. It's beautiful. Uh, young people really are seeking positive, healthy relationships with adults, with a mentor. You know, not their parents. You know, that's a whole different right. dynamic. Sometimes it could be a teacher at school. It could be their coach or what have you. I found that they really looked at me i had i found I, I realized that they were really checking me out you know how i respond what i acted and so they knew i was i was being a model for them you know what it meant to be a follower of jesus and what that all was about uh and the opportunities that were being also that i was helping them experience and, and camp was one of those right you know they had never been to camp and when we got up there it was dark <laughs> they you know these guys were and the street, you know, no problem. But took them out into the to the wilderness. They they want to get back on the bus and head back home because it was they was out of their element. Yeah, they didn't know how to function. But then they realized that there's something could happen there, and they really enjoyed it. In fact, we got them to the point where we raised the they raised the money and paid for their way their own way to get up there. Um, I taught them how to budget, how to finance, how to do that work. So again. Again, developing the skills and abilities within young people, they're willing to step up and really deliver in ways that I think we underestimate too often. Yeah, and that's why I said earlier, sometimes I think as, a, as adults, a lot of adults forget what it was like to be young. Yeah. We forget that. We are so wrapped up where we are now, what we've done as an adult, where we are, where we want to go. If we have kids, it's all about the kids. It's all this stuff. Yeah, we put away childish things, right? We become an adult, we put away, well, we don't put away, we shouldn't put away all that young people are about. Right? Yeah. And then we forget, oh yeah, I was that way once, <laughs> you know, and, and it's, um, but how do we relate to them if we can't get ourselves back to understanding we were there once yeah you know well i think the other part of it is you know i my background wasn't the same as the young people that i was ministering to mm-hmm. i mean i grew up in a in a pastor's home church was my life right uh, that was the focus of how we operated and why we we did what we did these young people that i was working with again they had None. They were maybe similar to you in terms of their parents, who either were, you know were absent because of work or other issues. So they were out there on their own most of the time. But it was really understanding. And so I wasn't going to be, I wasn't trying to be hip and cool and get the language, whatever. I found that if I could just be true to myself, be authentic, maybe sometimes vulnerable, um, that's they could believe and somebody they could trust. Right, mm-hmm. that I was going to change, and I wasn't trying to be something that I wasn't. They knew who I was. You know, they they figured out really quickly. They didn't know anything about basketball, and here I'm coaching. <laughs> you know, and they they still allowed me to coach. Right, 
uh, on other things. And, and for me to say, well, I don't know how to do that, or I don't know about that. Let me check that out. Or when we studied the book, we didn't call it the Bible, we called it this book. Um, they would ask questions, and sometimes I had to kind of like, well, uh, let, me, let me look that up. I'll come back next week, because that's a great question. I never thought about that. You know, and so they yeah. knew that I was engaging them. Again, again, sometimes we forget that what it what it really means to be human, right? Yeah. Now there are a couple of scriptures I I brought. I want to read and, and discuss. One of them, of course, you know, I, and I think we forget this as adults. It's in uh, Psalm one twenty seven three. It says, "Children are a gift from the Lord; they are a reward from Him." Yes. And I don't believe that only means that this is talking to parents. Exactly. And, and I, I really believe that we need to look at Scripture as something that is supposed to be burned into our soul. Yes. You know. Yes. I think children are precious. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the sweetest sounds I know is children laughing freely. You know, they can... When you see that baby with a smile or a three-year-old or five or seven laughing, that is so full of life that you just want to, you know, capture it and keep it. And the saddest is when they cry and they cry out of pain or cry out of a need because they don't know how to express themselves. They haven't got a point to it. They can talk, and when they can talk, they don't know what those feelings are. So there's precious. And so in my life, I know that there are children out there that didn't have parents or some t- some reason. And that's why in my, my own life, my wife and I had took in children who otherwise would probably not been adoptable yeah. or put into another situation that one of them was that was really uh, unhealthy and unsafe. Um, so, yes, I think children are truly gifts. You know, I um, when I was uh, teaching in... Um in high school I, and junior high, I realized now it's called middle school. Mm-hmm. So uh, I realized that I, I loved teaching middle school or junior high school kids. And I know that so many teachers and so many parents or people uh-huh. say they don't like that age. And I love them. And the reason I love them is because they're so inquisitive. Yeah. They've got questions for everything. Why? Why? Yeah. What's that? Yeah. Yeah. Did you know? Or is this uh-huh. true? And, and, uh-huh. and you've got to, you'd be on top of your game. Yeah. And I, and because I'm a person that always loves questions, I can mm-hmm. sit there and you can ask me questions and I'll answer them right away. Uh-huh. You know, I love doing that. It was just part of my makeup to love the fact that they were so inquisitive. Yes, they are. Uh, you, two things. One, going back to the adult, can we forget? I remember our, our, our high school youth were complaining about our middle schoolers because they thought that they were too squirrely, not being serious or what have you. And I said, you already forgot? You're only a year away and you forgot that you were like that? You know, we, we, everybody's welcome here, too. My wife um, is just really a gift at working with children. She was the spiritual formation director at the church. She was for a number of years. She had children praying and laying hands on each other and meditating. And I was, once in a while she would ask, a, the kids would ask a question at six and seven and eight years old even. Mm-hmm. And so I was the um, Bible answer man. So again, and she would say, well, let's ask them. So she would call me wherever I was at and say, we have a question here by, you know, Mickey. And he has a question. And he's going to ask the Bible answer man. So I had to be on my game on that time too. But yeah. again, even that young, they really are interested in things of God. 
Yeah. And, and, and it's funny, bringing up wives, my wife is, is really unique. Uh, I don't know about unique, but she's... Uh, Special. Yeah. <laughs> she loves her grandchildren. Mm. They are... They are they are it. And ever since the, the grandchildren were, I don't know, couldn't even walk, she was on the ground playing with them. Mm-hmm. Even till today, yeah. I hear that she's on the ground, plays with them with their puzzles, with their coloring. Car, little, she has a grandson, yes. loves cars. And so she's riding with the Absolutely. cars. Yeah. And, and, you know, I see a lot of adults won't do that. Mm, it's, it's their loss. Yeah, it really, it really is. is. It, it really, really is. is. And so I, as long as we're healthy, we can get on our knees and hang out with the smaller ones, asking this is great. Or even, you know, that teenager who's going through a difficult time just needs somebody just there that says, yeah. I love you. I care for you. It's going to be okay. Well, it gives also in the, in the child's eye, whether you're a toddler or you're elementary age or junior or senior high or even in college age, it gives them the perspective that they care about me. I must be worth something. Yes, right. I, absolutely. And, and, you know, you have that the old adage of, you know, the village, you know, you, you need the village, right? And I remember when, when my boy, uh, you know, was just really angry with going through difficult times. So he said, I want to run away. So he got his bicycle, and then my wife made him some sandwiches to stay with him. <laughs> so he ran away into the neighborhood. But guess what? The, the neighbors, our friends, come out of them were church members, too. They go, okay, he's over here right now. I can see him. He's doing all right. Uh, you know, it's getting kind of late. Should we call him in and, you know, invite him? He go, yeah, go. You know, we, so he, he couldn't get away from the village. He couldn't get away yeah. from the community because they cared about him. And I think that really stuck with him, even when... He became his own adult and on his own life that he knew that no matter what, there are people who cared about him beyond his parents. Yeah. Well, there's another passage in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 13, and it says this, All your children shall be taught by the Lord, Mm. and great shall be the peace of your children. Yes. Yeah. You know... I wonder how much our nation has lost perspective of the fact that our children need to be taught by the Lord. Mm. Because it says here, it's like a promise. If and when they are, their peace, they will show, they'll have peace. Yeah. I think that's so important. Growing up in this world is very, in all kinds of turmoil and social media really impresses a lot on them and challenges them. And of course, we know during the pandemic, a lot of challenge of not being able to be with their peeps and there's a lot of you know mental stress and and so we've tried to instill not only in our children but the the programs i've been part of that there is a god who loves you that will never deny who you are when i finally went back to graduate school my youth said you can't leave you have to graduate us and then my final words with them says some of you have found god and others are still in that journey and some of you don't know about God, but I, I I'll tell you this. When you cry out to God that day, God will hear you. God will be with you. That is a promise. And so you cannot deny that you didn't experience some element of God's reality in this ministry. So yeah. that stuck with them. So if we can give them that, that peace that knowing that no matter who you are or what has gone through your life, there is a God who cares about you, who loves you, and will hear you will understand your pain because God has lost his son too, you mm-hmm. know? And, and so we have to really impart that reality 
that truth to our young people because I think right now they are really searching for something that that won't change and we know that God's love will never change yeah yeah and not only his love won't change God himself never changes God is love yeah and and I think that um I don't know what I wrote a I wrote a chapter in a book recently. I, I have to give you the book, by the way. It's called Breakthrough Leadership, mm. and so my chapter is on uh, investing in people mm-hmm. and how do you become a leader and a, and a great leader. So I talk about you know there's a lot of leaders out there and there's a lot of uh, good leaders out there, but if you want to become a great leader. Learn to invest in others. Yes, I think that I agree with that. It's not so much how many followers you have, mm-hmm. but how do you build capacity in other people? Yeah. How do you help them see the gifts and talents that God has already imbued in them because they're created in the image of God? I think that's the real leader, the one who cultivates them, the one that lifts up the others that the other person can then take over and move forward and do great and better things. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm a believer in that, so it's not... Do you emulate me? Do you accept the way I think? But what is it that you that I've been able to unleash and you have discovered yeah. within yourself? Go ahead. No. So they, they can then, then respond appropriately and with love to a God who really wants something in their lives. Yeah. Of significance, right? Of significance. Because even before I ever, before I was a Christian, before I was a teenager, I remember that my grandparents on my mom's side invested in my life. Mm. My grandmother, <laughs> you know, decided that I liked uh, buttermint candies, little little <laughs> square little candies. Yeah. And if, if I was in a hospital or something, whatever it was, she brought me a box. And mm-hmm. But she invested time in me, teaching me manners, teaching me about being, having a good heart. And my grandfather invested time in with me to learn things, how to change oil, how to, mm-hmm. you know, sh- shave things with a plane, you know, and, and mm-hmm. so forth. And they invested in me as a young child. My young teenage years were a mess. You know, I was, you know, they, but then when I started going to church uh, again, I had a pastor a youth pastor and then a pastor who invested and this pastor has invested many years of his life into mine and I really believe that if we as adults can learn this whether we have children or grandchildren or we are just part of a group and we don't have children but we are a part of a group where they have children we can invest in the this and I think it's it, it starts with just being able to listen. <laughs> well, truly true. listen. You know, not not think not think not hearing them in order to respond to what they're saying, but truly listen and ask questions to understand. Right? Mm-hmm. Not to be understood. Not to say I have the answer. Let me give you that. But truly, and I think they really will connect at that level. Yeah. There's a, a missionary couple that we. See, we stay with in Moldova. Their names are Ro- uh, Radu and uh, Luda Kukosh. And Kukosh, Kukosh, yeah. And basically, um, they started uh, several years ago, they're with Campus Crusade. Mm-hmm. And they started, instead of working with, with uh, students in the universities, they started working with family ministry. 
and they de- were developing a concept of going into the classrooms. Now, in Moldova, you can go and talk about God in, in the classrooms. Uh, they consider themselves a Christian nation. Mm-hmm. So they were able to do this, reaching the children, which went over to the teachers, which folded over to the parents. Mm-hmm. And so what do you have here? You have a whole community. A whole community of, I care about you. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the center and focal point of all relationships. So let's build on this because their whole idea was if we can get families to understand this concept, we start with children here, build on with that. And now we have this community will help maybe heal our country Mm. because their divorce rate is amazingly high. Ours is amazingly high. And we can maybe mend our communities and our and our nation itself. Yeah. So I really believe when you talk about developing or empowering, I think you used the uh, word unleashing the power. Unleashing the power, you know, uh, into our youth, you know, it it helps our community and it helps our nation as a whole. Well, yes, it it, it multiplies. I and mean, now they're adults now and uh, I'm thankful for the internet, and I think one time I got this little note saying, are you the Michael Mata that used to hang around with us on 3rd and Vermont and shoot hoops with us? And I go, well, yeah, who's this? I go, well, I just want to let you know that none of us are on on America's most wanted list. And I went like, what? And then he goes, LLL, you know, LLL. You know, that how loud he was just like, I'm just kidding. You, The past could have been different for us. But because of what you all did for us and with us, None of us are there. Yeah. You know, and they showed me pictures of their family, their homes, you know. I just go, again, to the glory of God. Yeah. Right? You know, um, it doesn't mean that it it was all easy for them, but they knew that there was a different way of living that maybe their immediate neighborhood didn't really reflect or told them, but they found something. Yeah. They found it in, in the living God. And I think it's so important that that we as adults can we see this to as you've been doing your most of your life to engage, yeah, uh, to help those because eventually it's gonna it's gonna turn around and bless the community and bless you. Yeah, and that's the important. I think that's the important thing. That's the outcome we're looking for. You know, mm-hmm. what can what's transformative? Maybe my church board wasn't too thrilled that none of our not, not many of our youth joined the church. But it wasn't about joining the church. It wasn't joining a congregation. It was mm-hmm. joining the body of Christ, right? Yeah. And it's all in its complexity and its richness and the vitality so that they didn't have to just come to our congregation to worship. They could maybe find something closer to where they're at. And if not, they still knew who God was and is and can be and will be in their lives. So I guess you and I are a lot alike in the, in the point where I'm not about putting numbers on the membership rolls, <laughs> not in the churches, but it's about changing lives. Yes. To, yes. 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 That's... I, I, I like that. Well, it's been a pleasure, Mike. Well, it's been good. It's really catching nice. up with you and oh, yeah. uh, reminisce a little bit about our past and where we've been. And yeah. Some things I have forgotten or maybe want to forget, but <laughs> uh, you, you remind me quite a bit about that. Well, my wife, unfortunately, doesn't like my memory. 
<laughs> sometimes it's it gets me in trouble that All I right. remember so much. Um, but this has been wonderful. I am so honored to have you on this program. Well, it's and, been great. I look forward to that next time. Yes, I, I do too. And, um, you know, this is seen by many people all over the world. Mm. So uh, this will be good because I have people that I talk to that, that watch this program that I go to who are ministers and missionaries, and they they need your input of what your knowledge what mm. you do is what they struggle with and they're trying to do yeah and i i really am i'm i'm not there to change anybody's mission that god has given them mm-hmm. but perhaps maybe expand their vision yeah by which they can live out that mission that's amazing that's good because that's that means that you're you're not all controlling which is right yes yeah. it's all about jesus mm-hmm. Amen. Well, thank you again, and uh, thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate that you've uh, been watching our program. Uh, Please subscribe. Please comment uh, if you have the time, and uh, we'll see you again next week. Aloha. Alan Cutting and the Believer's Journey radio program seeks to teach the Word of God in a clear and practical manner. For more information, please visit the podcast page at am630theword.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.